make the most of your life. When you remove the blocks that are holding you back, you can bring inspiration, passion, and purpose to yourself and those around you. This is the Hoffman Connection with your hosts, Raz Ingrassi and Ed McLoon. Our hosts and their guests will give you the tools that you need to improve yourself by bringing you closer to what really matters. Now, here's your host. Hello, this is Raz Ingrassi with uh, my co-host, Ed McLoon, and we're coming to you from beautiful Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area. Gorgeous day out here. We hope it's nice wherever you are. Um, I'm, uh, we're both with the Hoffman Institute, obviously, and the Hoffman Institute is celebrating 45 years as a personal, leading personal development program across the world. We have over 80,000 people who have participated in our program and uh, 16 sites across 11 countries. Ed, are you there with us today? I am, Raz. Thanks. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's not so easy to know. Yeah, and our purpose here for the Hofkin Connection is to bring you inspiration, education, and some tools to help you connect to a life you love. We put on the Hoffman process here in the United States about 30 weeks a year between our sites in the Napa Valley and on the East Coast. And if you'd like to learn more about our our offers, our courses, um, you can tune into a free weekly confidential introduction call right after this show and learn more about that as well as many more things about the Hoffman process and our, our work, our teachers, by going to our website, hoffmaninstitute.org, hoffmaninstitute.org, if you'd like more details. Raz. Well, today we're really excited to welcome a member of our, an esteemed member of our um, professional advisory council, uh, Dr. Bruce Price. And Dr. Price was, in 1994, appointed chief of the Department of Neurology at McLean Hospital. It's a Harvard hospital. And he is an associate in neurology at Mass General and an associate professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School. Bruce Price specializes in neuropsychiatry and cognitive and behavioral neurology that involve the interface between neurology, psychiatry, neurosurgery, neuropsychology, cognitive neuroscience and if there's anything i left out throw that in there too because he knows everything uh, <laughs> well bruce you know there's that old saying that the the uh the, the the difference between a brain surgeon and god is that god knows he's not a brain surgeon uh, <laughs> but uh having having said that little joke i just want to say that you are so welcome to be with us and uh today we're going to explore things around the edge of uh, a topic we're just calling neuroscience and the Hoffman spirit. And uh, so there is this intersection between objective science and subjective growth experiences like the Hoffman process. And there are changes in the brain. We hear a lot about brain plasticity. And I want to ask you to start off with how do personal growth experiences grow the brain or change the brain? What's that all about? Um, so first, I'm looking forward to this hour. It will be free-ranging, and uh, let's have at it. And secondly, the lead questions. So th there's no doubt that, uh, be it objective or subjective experiences, uh, easy manual tasks or, you know, mystical thoughts uh, are all processed by uh, the, the brain itself. And any time that an attitude changes or shifts, 
underlying that, there will be uh, small but but increasingly detectable changes in the proteins because proteins are what code learning uh, in the brain. So uh, it, it all it all goes through the brain, is processed by the brain, and changed by the brain, and then. Uh, attitudes can either change the brain or actually brain uh, changes can change uh, can change attitudes so it's it's a interesting marvelous complex mix well we've heard that the brain is a social organ i've heard that that phrase uh, right. tossed around a little bit can you comment on what is meant by that right so from a, from an evolutionary uh, point of view um you know, we, we, we like to think we're a little bit uh, higher on the scale than uh, slugs or um, uh, even even dolphins and perhaps even uh, other primates like uh, like chimpanzees. And so you can you can plot out that the brain clearly uh, grows and the front part of the brain, what we call the frontal network part of the brain, grows disproportionately as one evolves towards the human. Uh, the human species. So the the brain uh, evolution is marked both by growth, vast, remarkable growth in the brain itself, particularly in the front part of the brain. But more interesting than that, it's actually marked by connectivity. So all of these brain regions are more interconnected in the human brain than, say, in even in uh, even in, in monkeys and even in other species that are not primates. So it's both sheer size. And most importantly, it's the connection of all of our brain regions together. Hmm. That's amazing. Well, speaking of that, can you tell us, I, I mean, you've been a, a neuroscientist for a long time, uh, you know, 30 years or more, I, I imagine. And right. how can you tell us, uh, what can you tell us about modern, how modern brain science views yeah. the brain yeah. or understands the brain compared to, you know, when you were in medical school and what was being put out then, what are we learning? Right. So, you know, all of us are brain scientists, if you will. I mean, don't we all like human behavior? Aren't we fascinated by it? Don't we try to, try to analyze it and shift it and order it and try to get to the, to the core of it? Uh, I just happen to be one of those pretty curious people that came along at the right time at the right age, and uh, I suppose with a certain personality which is drawn to this and really likes science as well so my uh, I started in this brain science field really in college so now we're speaking of late 60s and then through uh, medical school and then through my professional career uh, what makes Sammy run what makes Joan tick um, and and my avenue through this has been so what's the science behind the brain you know what? How can we use what we know in brain science to better uh, uh, humanity, uh, if you will? And my uh, my my simplified uh, family story here, for those that may be interested, is that I uh, uh, am the uh, the son of a, an experimental test pilot through the Air Force and, and Boeing, uh, and my mother was essentially a psychologist uh, by 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 uh, intuition and by training herself. So, uh, you know, the, the, the chestnut doesn't drop far from the tree. Unfortunately, my father, when I was two, in an experimental mid-air crash, I was one of four test pilots that went down. Um, my innate tendency would be 
to be part of that mission, which is incredibly exciting to me, landed on Mars uh-huh. yesterday. That's right. just a technological feat, which just you know makes me uh, just quiver with excitement. Uh, but the, the pact between my mom and myself never written, of course, is that she didn't want me to do that because she lost the love of her life doing that. So as the family story goes, Bruce, instead of flying into outer space, flew into inner space. And that centers me uh, on the brain and kind of individual uh, behaviors and what, what, again, makes people, makes people tick. So, what, uh, so I, I kind of kicked in around the 70s, and there's been a, just an explosion of knowledge in the last 20 and 30 years driven by all these fields that I'm, inter- I'm interested in, from neurosurgery to my field of, uh, of cognitive and behavioral neurology, which essentially studies brain function, health, and dysfunction and ill health in, in the wake of brain injuries and strokes and epilepsy and tumors, and also including what we now know to be biologic-mediated diseases such as schizophrenia, depression, bipolar, obsessive-compulsive disorder. So I'm kind of a, a little bit of a Renaissance person, by design, but also just by being uh, at this part, at this moment in history. So we use technology, uh, you know, imaging of the brain, for instance, has led to huge advances. And one of the big deals, as you've already mentioned, is this uh, thing called uh, neuroplasticity. And when I was in medical school, you know, we really were taught that the brain was pretty much like a chunk of concrete. And you spent most of your life losing cells, saying goodbye to them, and uh, diminishing in your human capacity uh, over time. And 20-plus years ago, again, in animal experiments, uh, they began deciphering that, in fact, yes, you lose a lot of uh, brain cells. By the way, particularly uh, between the ages of three and five years of age. So it's as if you... You uh, have a scaffolding, but it's in the pruning. It's in the loss of cells and the recircling of other cells that actually moves one forward into uh, adolescence and into adulthood and hopefully uh, to those surviving into uh, a little bit of wisdom, which we can... Did I, did uh, I hear you right that, we're, that we have the most brain cells at age like three or five? And that yeah, probably. Have- yeah, exactly. Uh, even Even earlier... Raz, and then we undergo molding. We undergo sculpting. And all these little branches, which we call dendrites, and even volumes of certain areas uh, shed cells, but only in order to make way for new cells and new connections. So that was something that I wasn't taught that is startling uh, in, in, in the discovery, and that's, that's well documented. And within that, by the way, there are certain learning moments, teachable moments in the human brain in which you are more open to, uh, to change uh, than not. So that's interesting to think about adult pathways and maturity and when we're open to moments and when we're more closed to moments. But then it gets better than that, which is that we know now, even through the eighth and ninth decade of life, that the brain is still able to elaborate new neurons and to make new connections. And furthermore, that experience, so psychological experience, environmental experience in and of itself, 
can change the way the brain functions, and psychological techniques can be used to adapt our behaviors, our brains, into more uh, healthy behaviors, as taught by the Hoffman process, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's really great news, isn't it? You know, for those of us, well, for all of us who are yeah. getting a little bit older. Let's pick it up. We're going we're to go to a quick break, uh, Dr. Price. When yes. we come back, we'll find out more. And I want to ask also just about how do we develop those new networks or new connections in our brain over time. We're here in the Hoffman Connection, and we'll be right back with Dr. Bruce Price right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at HoffmanInstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit HoffmanInstitute.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And welcome back to the Hoffman Connection. I'm Ed McClune with Raz and Grossi and our guest, Dr. Bruce Pry. Price of um, the McLean's Hospital in at Harvard, and Bruce, we're just finishing off about um, I guess starting to bust some of the myths or at least the old belief that as we age, our brain kind of deteriorates, yeah, and that new di- new connections aren't formed, etc. Um, what's the latest good news? Well, um, I'll start off with the the not so good news and end up with the good news. How's that? Beautiful. <laughs> so so. Um, and I'm interested in this because I'm locked into uh, the, the the biologic age of 63, having just turned. So I'm looking to um, expand and 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 connect and uh, get those uh, get those connections and get those brain cells going. So I'm invested in this uh, and I'm uh, happy to share it with the Hoffman. And hopefully, people in the Hoffman process are doing the same because we do know that experience and positivity 
and connections uh, are really probably healthy in so many ways. Amongst others, it looks to be like uh, a little bit of a deterrent for uh, developing the, uh, the, the scourges of uh, aging, such as Alzheimer, even stroke, probably even Parkinson's disease, and depression. So uh, there's, there's good news here. But first, here, what we have to come to grips with is that uh, younger people, once we were uh, such, uh, they have better vigor and stamina and enthusiasm and behavioral flexibility and speed and able to take on multiple tasks at the same time. But what's interesting is that, uh, on the other hand, it takes aging uh, uh, to to acquire such things as experience and poise and judgment and wisdom. So that's what we call the aging paradox. Down goes your vigor, stamina, enthusiasm, multiple tasking abilities. Up goes your experience, poise, judgment, and uh, hopefully wisdom. And again, it, it, it has to do with kind of the fine-tuning and the regeneration of new brain cells in the uh, in the networks of the brain. You know, the advantage of aging is, uh, uh, as someone put it to me, uh, the great thing about getting older is that you don't lose all the other ages you've been, right? So it's uh, it's kind of an, an accumulative uh, experience. Uh, so it turns out we can lose certain neurons in our brain as long as we add others. And we age successfully, then uh, then we're uh, we're in a position to grow even more, and and we know that uh, aging is usually successful aging. Let me say is usually associated with better, more positive emotional regulations. You know, life's contradictions kind of decrease, reconciliation increases. We tend to accept things, have better perspective, a little bit more contentment. Uh, than when we're uh, 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 more youthful, kind of more resilience. We bounce back better from adversity. We have the sense that things, too, will really pass when things seem so bad and terrible. Um, and I think as time shortens, things become clear because people kind of let their feelings navigate what they do, who they spend time with, what choices they make in life, and it's more about the moment and not the future. So I raise that because all these things seem pretty, uh, pretty convergent with uh, what the Hoffman process teaches us. So what, what is the, the whole field of neuro, neuropsychology? I mean, you, you brought up on your list of things, Alzheimer's and dementia yeah. things, depression. Yeah. yeah. Is there, um, in terms of what a, um, neuroscience, what yeah. can you tell us about, you know, sort of the, um, the chicken and the egg around psychopathology like depression yeah so first of all we know it's a biologic disease and uh, uh, in fact we, we even have good evidence that uh, abuse as a childhood has a measurable impact on brain development which has a measurable impact on attitudes that one develops and having said that we can we can change attitudes and change chemistry means that even the victims of terrible terrible abuse can have the resilience to back to 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 unlearn that, if you will, to relearn uh, adaptive uh, adaptive skills and to go on and be really very very healthy people. What we're trying to figure out is how come some people can do that. For instance, four out of five of the EMTs and firefighters at uh, 
actually have done well and recovered. It's that vulnerable one out of five that hasn't. We don't know yet how to break that down and how to treat that. Uh, but we do know in terms of, of, uh, of depression, uh, uh, you know, we, we have a little bit of the chemistry down. We have a little bit of uh, medications that might help. Some of them have toxic, toxic issues. But what we really know is, that, and this is in moderate to severe depression, uh, and by the way, 7 or 10% of, of uh, everyone on any given day is allowed a bad day. It's just a, it's a bad day, out of, six out of seven good days countered by one bad day. That's normal uh, human behavior. Depression is when it goes on for weeks and weeks and really interferes with your uh, activity, uh, uh, activities of daily living, your, your energy, your concentration, your mood itself. You eat too much, you sleep too much, or you do, or you eat too little and sleep too little. These are the signs of a major depression. So we're, 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 we're catching on using our tools that this is a biologic disease, but not only medications, but um, psychotherapy and, and, and connectivity to uh, family and friends is, uh, is, is usually helpful in a combined way. So it looks like happiness is kind of the property of groups of people. We are really dependent and interdependent upon our uh, social networks. And if our social network is happy, we tend to be happier as well. So, you know, the company we keep uh, kind of helps to determine our happiness. We now know that friendships have a huge impact on uh, psychological well-being and that happy people are, are generally more healthy, more creative, more productive, and that these social ties probably in and of themselves uh, promote brain health, particularly as we age. So it's all about keeping keeping connected and keeping healthy and, and really developing positive attitudes. Okay, Bruce. So tell us the inner the interconnection between the chemistry and that happiness. In other words, yep. I doubt that. I, I hear exactly what you're saying, but my speculation is you can't medicate your way into happiness. If if it's a if there's a large biochemical deficit. Raz, uh, and, and, and I'm speaking about people with moderate to severe depression. Okay. We can, we can try to make up the biochemical deficit, but that's usually not enough. In other words, medications alone don't, don't bring you back into the happiness realm. Right. But medications can give you a leg up in which you can then address and understand and right. cope better. With and the help of, of, give of like, to the behaviors that will, well, Part of the reason I brought this up is, yep. you know, University of California research on Hoffman yep. shows that mild uh, to moderate depression uh, basically disappears yep. after a week. Yep. And uh, so and we're not diagnosing anybody. People are just becoming more whole. Right. And I mean, my my thinking on that is a, a, a more whole person is just healthier and healthier. Yep. You know, people are less depressed. And obviously, I think that in, in Hoffman, people find the social connection not only to other people, but also to a deeper, yep. more resilient, uh, loving, if you will, uh, part yep. of themselves. Could you yep. comment on, on Oh, I, I accept those observations, again, for people that aren't so deep in the, in the hole, that right. they, just, they just can't, you know, they're bed-bound, they can't, they can't act, they, 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 they have lost all of their energy and, and ideas and, and motivation. But yeah, no, for people that people that have uh, kind of mild depression and 
goodness, at any given moment, 20 or 30 percent of, the, of, the, of our population probably does. I, I think what the Hoffman process represents is, is, is a very good kind of behavioral program to getting better. Mm. No doubt. So the brain's got to be changing in order for that better to last, right? Yeah. So, so with the Hoffman, there's no doubt that in that eight-day uh, course of which I went through, as I recall, maybe in October of 2004, uh, there's no question in my mind that you have rearranged the chemistry. You have rearranged the circuits uh, in the brain. And people go out of there really with this sense of euphoria. And it's terrific. And then the challenge per individual, and, and I think the nice thing about Hoffman Aftercare is we gotta, we gotta keep those changes going. You know, we can't fall back into old patterns, which, uh, you know, Lord knows is awfully easy to do. Because you can change the chemistry, but then it can revert back if you don't keep it in, in, in a very mindful and aware way and practice it. Right. Well, one of the one of the nice findings in the Hoffman uh, in the research was that even without an, any specific follow up, yeah. a year later, the the reductions in negative affect were basically holding, and yeah. uh, the increases in positive affect, you know, emotional intelligence, spiritual yeah. and forgiveness, had actually continued to go up. So the reason I bring that up is that uh, is that I, I, my speculation is that there's a certain skill. That a person acquires, and yep. once they got that skill, it's yep. a skill for being effective in life. And the more you live, the more that skill has an opportunity yep. to improve. I mean, yeah. If you could, if you continue to apply it, yeah. So in other words, it's not an eight an eight day wonder fix. It just opens several doors and gives you tools. Right. And if you apply those tools, then there's there's no doubt in my mind that most of the people are elevated. Got it. Um, Ed, how are we doing on time here? I think we could go to break right now, Raz, if it's all right. I, um, before we do, though, I want to let our listeners, or at least remind many of you, that um, a week from Saturday on August 18th, we're having our annual open party and picnic at the retreat center we use in the Napa Valley, White Sulphur Springs in St. Helena. And that, uh, and besides being a big party, is also our annual fundraiser, a big part of our scholarship funds every year are raised during that and we do it through a raffle and we'd love to have you come introduce yourself to us at our picnic up at uh, White Sulphur Springs and also participate if you like by uh, being part of the raffle including a uh, the big prize I guess is a two-year lease on a brand new Volkswagen Beetle tons of other prizes European vacations all kinds of things and if you buy your tickets early you can stand a chance not only to win the car but be part of other drawings as well so you can learn about that our fundraiser our scholarship program and also the introductory call for the Hoffman Institute, all by going to hoffmaninstitute.org. That's our website. Or if you like, our toll-free number is 800-506-5253. That's 800-506-5253. All right, we'll be right back in just a minute or so here on the Hoffman Connection.
news, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at HoffmanInstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit HoffmanInstitute.org. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at HoffmanInstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change, visit HoffmanInstitute.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. Hello, this is Raz and Grossi. We're speaking with Dr. Bruce Price, Chief of the Department of Neurology at McLean Hospital, one of the top psychiatrists and neurologists in the United States uh, with a great, great, you know, knowledge on the brain and all the interfaces between neurology, psychiatry, psychoneurology, cognitive neuroscience, all these big words. Um, For most of us, Bruce, uh, you know, we can notice that our emotions and our intellect are often warring with one another. Obviously, they're both part of the same system, but I feel that my emotions are my heart, and I think that my intellect is in my brain. Am I right or wrong? (laughs) Right. Um, I'm just talking about my subjective sensibility, not what I feel. Yeah. Uh, um, Well, so... Look, the, the 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 brain is where emotions are centered. It's where cognition uh, is centered, and it's what sends signals to our heart and uh, gut and legs and so forth. So, I mean, it truly is, and I, I think even non-neurologists and neurosurgeons like myself would 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 say we we it still holds that it's the master organ, if you will, and that's kind of where I went for for the answers, um, and, and yet the metaphor is the emotions are in your heart. And so, you know, we're, we say, look, I love you with all of my heart, uh, but if you want to be up-to-date and medically uh, uh, informed, you're going to say, I love you with all of my brain. Uh, it's the, 
and what it's about the, the brain and the body? There are they. Yeah. But I mean, it's all one yeah. thing, though, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, so it's it's not quite as simple as that because you know the the the, the heart literally can give feedback when it starts fluttering. Uh, you know, your your brain will detect that it's anxious, that something something not right is going on. Anyone knows that when you have kind of GI uh, gut issues, it uh, usually uh, the mood uh, sinks a little bit. So, on the one hand, emotions and cognition and intellect resides in the brain. On the other hand, it has what we would call a reciprocal relationship between the heart and the, uh, the other peripheral organs and and everything else. So it's a really interesting kind of complex milieu uh, of, of, of interactions. And one of the other teachings we used to uh, uh, hear was that it was a battle between nature and nurture, if right. you remember that battle. Well, well now we, we think that's like a, a, a wrong-headed way of looking at things. It, it's, it's, it's nature in combination with nurture. So it's the combination of the two interacting that really helps us determine uh, who we are, what we feel at that at that very moment. Well, you mentioned earlier um, the role of early childhood experiences. I'm sure you're aware of that uh, uh, adverse childhood experiences study with some, I think it was with 12,000 people, yeah. so-called ACE study. Yeah. And we learned from that that adverse childhood experiences play a huge role in uh, adult health uh, issues, yep. and we have, of course, observed in the Hoffman process, uh, anecdotally, that a lot of people's uh, GI tract uh, issues, headaches, mm-hmm. other aches and pains, mm-hmm. really seem to be positively affected by doing doing this deep yeah. neuro, or um, I'll call it psycho-spiritual work, yeah. emotional and spiritual work. Yeah. Uh, does that does that surprise you or is that not No, right? no, you, not at all. Um and I just think it adds to the wonderment if if you will, not to the mystery because I think we we're beginning to understand it. Um you know, so if you don't mind a personal example on what one of the many uh ways in which the Hoffman process was liberating to me back in 04 because I've mentioned the loss of my father and I was always I always sensed the tragedy and there was an implied idea that he was a test pilot and uh, when my grandfather informed me of his death bless him because he was just doing the best he knew how to do with the incredible grief he had he said that uh, uh, you know your father was flying in one of his planes and he uh, looked up to heaven and he looked down to earth and he decided to fly to heaven well uh, I was held that against my father you know damn you <laughs> you know how, how could you make that 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 uh, uh, that decision, and uh, boy, if there is a God, he's a pretty rotten God. Right. Uh, and I, I have held that deeply, and uh, to the point of resentment and, and anger that I didn't know, but kind of colored who I was until the experience in which you put yourself, uh, I put myself in my father's shoes for the last 10 or 20 seconds of his life and relived it and uh, convinced myself that there's nothing more than he wanted to do than to return to Earth, to be the the love of my mother's life, to raise his two children, his daughter and son, and me being the youngest. And with that acceptance, compassion, and forgiveness, you know, I think my uh, resentment 
far beyond just my father's death, probably went down several several blips. And that was very, very liberating. There's no doubt in my mind that that experience has continued and my brain has, in fact, been altered. And what results would you see from that then, Bruce, in your own life, that, that altering? Uh, yeah, so, so uh, really, if, if one can forgive such a figure as their father and have compassion and try to understand and deeply listen, uh, that to me applies to hopefully everyone I interact with now. Um, and, and, you know, uh, the Hoffman is a matter of, of connecting dots, like who are you in this universe, and here are ten dots that are suddenly connected, and it's one of those aha moments. And with that awareness and with that mindfulness, you, again, can change who you are and, and the attitudes that you possess. And also, it just must have done something good for you to know after an entire lifetime that just how much your dad really did love you and yeah. that he didn't, you know, that was a metaphor. Your, your grandfather was saying uh, yeah. something there, but but you know that, in fact, your father did not choose to go to heaven instead of be with you. He yeah. That was an accident, and yeah. he loved you Absolutely. very much. And, and uh, it took me, uh, you know, 50-some-odd uh, years to get that with the help of the Hoffman process such that um, uh, I, I was given my father's uh, U.S. Air Force wings, his bracelet, and uh, really couldn't bear to wear them much because of my mixed emotions towards this man. And right after the Hoffman, uh, I have been wearing that bracelet for now uh, eight years, faithfully, daily, and honor it. Mm-hmm. So you got your dad back. That you, you lost him at age two, and you got your dad back. I sure did. That's wonderful. I sure did. That's a beautiful thing. Um, so, tell us a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Um, let's see how I want to ask this. Um, we hear talk about the mind and the brain, and yep. the brain we know is an organ. Sometimes the mind might be something different. What uh, you know. Uh, Buddhists speak about big mind that yeah. everything is the mind. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what could you comment on the on that the mind and the brain, or do you just want to? No, no. I mean, the mind is kind of a philosophic concept, and the brain is more of a science concept. I I think the two uh, intermingle and inter, interchange quite well. Since you mentioned uh, Buddhism, you know, there's some uh, beginning uh, investigations in Wisconsin, as you know, uh, and, and here in Boston around the role of uh, meditation. Mm-hmm. And we can now verify that, that um, meditation, in fact, changes the way the brain functions. So call that mental change, call that brain change. To me, they're both, uh, they both uh, are exchangeable words. And uh, it, again, attests to the power of external experience and how that can create internal changes that are deep and enduring. Well, Bruce, you know, we can have these, you spoke of meditation. So through through meditation uh, or through things like Hoffman, people can have these experiences of life being totally interconnected, holistic. And you might call this a mystical experience. Yeah. Uh, what what can we learn from these kinds of experiences? Is there a place for that for these yep. kind of experiences in the work that you do? Yeah. 
Well, if you don't mind uh, me leading by example once again, look, I'm I'm a I'm a, a scientist. Um, I think it's a it's a it's a great liberating force, and uh, that we have to use in our interests. Um, you know, uh, we, I think we pay a heavy price for being anti-intellectual and for being kind of lazy and ignorant in our approaches to portraying people or even ourselves. And uh, to be able to to uh, to discuss and, and analyze issues of, uh, with incredible complexity, such as human behavior, is uh, serves us all uh, very very well. And if I can also say, though, science is tough. It's hard. It's slow. You know, there there are a few simple explanations in science, um, and I think the public perceives that it's like just endless turmoil and doubts and uncertainties. And yet, I would like people to understand that that that, that turmoil is essential to the discovery process. That we operate uh, out of contradictions, and uh, tossing away old ideas is a great thing. Giving birth to new ones is an even better thing. So, it's science is kind of inherently unstable. And uh, contradiction happens all the time, and it's something we should welcome. So that's uh, I'll get off the pulpit now, but I just wanted people to understand that science is a, is a good thing, is a liberating thing. And as an example, you know, the average lifespan uh, at uh, in the in, in 1900 was 50. Well, here we are, 100 and some odd years later, it's now 75 to 80. And again, it's through it's through science. Now that doesn't mean that there are mysteries, and that there will always be mysteries, and that someone like me, kind of a, a hard scientist who, on the other hand, is open to uh, psychology and mystery and the Hoffman process, that, that there is a spiritual quality going on here, hard to uh, you know measure, uh, but awfully potent in its force, and uh, uh, certainly with me as, again, brought into better focus through the Hoffman process. And the way I look at it, uh, Raz and Ed, is it's uh, kind of my spirituality is that kind of sense of belonging, of connection, of of, of grace, of uh, solidarity, if you will, between myself and others, and really the world, the world at large. So I consider myself a citizen uh, of the world, and it's an understanding that we're all actually pretty interdependent. You know, we all crave a sense of community and want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And it's kind of an abiding faith in humanity. So that's what, uh, that's what kind of spurs me and, and it adds to the spiritual quality of my life, which I think makes me a, a lot better doctor. Because as, as much as we may know, which is probably 10% or less of the human brain, um, I think the healing of a physician-doctor relationship is based still on, on a lot of faith and a lot of connection, and a lot of hope, and uh, the good doctors know that and can find the, ta- the time to make that happen between the patient and, and themselves. So um, I think a lot of doctors, they may not recognize it. In fact, practice spirit and are the better for it, and their patients are, are, are the better for it. 
it's so so true, and we don't we don't need to demonize the the rational scientist intellect right. based in order to embrace the mystery of life as well. I think, yeah. and more and more scientists are leading that way That's than right. um, following. We're going to have to take a break here. One more segment with Dr. Bruce Price, and we'll hear more from him in just a minute or two here on the Hoffman Connection. this issue talk 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 that's all we do is talk if you'd like to talk call us toll free right now at 1-866-472-5787 that's it that's it voiceamerica.com Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And we're back on The Hoffman Connection with Dr. Bruce Price. And Bruce, when, when you were just saying, reminded me, Back when I was in graduate school and they were doing research on which theoretical orientation to psychotherapy had the better results, so psychodynamic or cognitive yeah. behavioral or humanistic. And the, the basic finding was it wasn't about the theoretical orientation at all. Yep. It was about the quality of the relationship with the healer. That's, uh, and I, um, that still holds. Very true, it's, very true. And so, you know, as a, as a medical doctor, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, not being pigeonholed into yeah. um, a cut-and-dried, whatever, diagnostician or, yeah. you know, a scientist, yeah. that, um, there's other ways of yeah. have being a holistic healer, I guess. Right, right. And, and I say, uh, I, I would say that um, that through medicine and science, uh, you can you can believe too much in it, and you start getting into this uncomfortable corner of kind of the overpromise of medicine, which ultimately reduces the human spirit. So you got to be careful in my field, and I speak for neurology, psychiatry, all the kind of clinical brain sciences. We got to avoid what we call reductionism to reduce complex human behavior just to a molecule. Right. Uh, or just to a, 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 a certain chemical deficit. Um, and if you do that, to me, it, it makes medicine more narrow and, and boring. Uh, when you have a patient come in, you know, you really want to get to know who's, who's behind the disease, who's behind the numbers on the, on the laboratory slips. And if you don't connect at that level, you know, then you become kind of a mechanic. Right. Um, uh, and, and mechanics of the soul usually don't, don't, don't work that well. 
Uh, and I, I'm in the position of teaching lots of uh, medical students and residents and fellows here in Boston. And uh, it's sad to see that the brightness, the nobility, the idealism, the cheerful optimism of medical students in their first year or even two. And then it's sad to me, uh, two or three years later, particularly out of the residency training, come people that reduce uh, uh, to numbers, patients, people that have forgotten the, the, the big mysteries, that have uh, lost spirit and uh, have become kind of reductionistic, um, you know, slightly narrow people that do their best but don't realize how much more they could be doing. And let's face it, uh, practicing medicine in the States, regardless of politics, uh, uh, is hard. It's complex. You know, you're given 18 minutes or 20 minutes to get to know the, the, the numbers, the disease, the spirit, the soul, the religion behind it. Give me a break. The diet. The diet, exactly. <laughs> the, the attitudes, uh, the family dynamics. So it just, you know, you're asking the impossible. So it, it becomes pretty defeating. And I've no. just seen a lot of people who lose that initial zeal. Well, and, and it becomes I, I a wondered, job. And when, when medicine becomes a job, I think that's that's part of the death knell. Is that part of – I mean, I, I'm, I'm reading that a flaw of the prefrontal cortex is that yeah. it can only handle so many bits of information at a time, like yeah. seven to eight bits. Yeah. And that – that you know, the, the trick is to be a functional person in the adult in the in the modern world is to take any eight bits of information, some yeah. of which are not constant variables, yeah. and to create a narrative to create meaning. So a yeah. physician, you know, has only got sixteen minutes to get eight bits of information and create a diagnosis and a treatment plan. Right. I mean, is that is that accurate? First of all, the eight bits of information about the prefrontal cortex. Look, and, I think it's useful for for uh, for argument's sake. So I don't think I, I would dispute that at all. Why not? Let's go with that number, give or take. Yeah, <laughs> five or ten on either side. But but yeah, I mean you're overwhelmed. And by the way, uh, uh, just to 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 get on the bully pulpit one last time, I hope um, because there's such a time squeeze uh, with doctors. There was an interesting study that the once the doctor says, "So what brings you here? How can I help?" Um, I think on average. Uh, 18 seconds go by until the doctor starts jumping in, uh, you know, with, with with his own thoughts. And to me, that's not many seconds to get to know who this uh, who this person really is. So I can tell you how I use the Hoffman process to try and elevate my spirit daily, to try to be a better person to all the, the people that I love, my family, my friends, as well as to be a better uh, a better doctor. And uh, so, so my spiritual connection is, is I really, I make a note to try to, to give three compliments and three kind acts a day. Uh, the receivers, I hope, benefit, but I sure do. Right. In, in, in getting back kind of that buoyance of spirit that, uh, one, one gets. Uh, I look to, uh, to beauty. Uh, I look to, uh, to nature. I look to, uh, kind of connect with my, with my patients. Um, and I really ask the questions, okay, what's really important? I try to understand that, you know, my ego can distort things with the, the rest of the, of the world and uh, to try to get over that and see what's core here. 
and I'm overscheduled and overwhelmed like everyone else, but I try to stop and say, okay, I have all the time in the world for this patient, and that relaxes me and hopefully uh, begins the bond with these uh, uh, patients. I'm in a serious business of brain science, so I also have to really be mindful to uh, try to spend an extra 10 minutes a day at least for a little fun, a little play, a little laughter, and that's what I see beaten out of a lot of medical students that become doctors as well. Where's the, where's the mystery? Where's the fun? Where's the playfulness? You know, can't, can't I remember, we? I remember um, learning about a study that was done some years ago where the, the two sets of doctors, one went in with their chart and stood up and never really looked at the patient and asked yep. a series of questions, yep. uh, spent 10 minutes in there. The other one sat on the bed, connected with the person, blah, 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 also spent 10 minutes. Yeah. And subjectively, the patients later asked uh, about their experiences. The patients responded that the doctors who were not looking at them and were just working with the charts spent two to three minutes with them, and the other ones spent 20 minutes with them. And so, (laughs) you know, the communication of caring and kindness and concern is also an important part of healing Right. And transmitting that spirit to the patients Absolutely. must help them in their own healing. And I really hear that you're you're taking the time to do that. Absolutely. And and you know, no one should be shocked by the study you just you just mentioned. And it, it will play out time and time again if tested in different ways. Um, you know, what we're forced to do now because of this so-called billable time and 18 minutes and so forth is to actually type the note while doing the exam. Well, where does that take your eyes? It takes your eyes at the computer. Where does that take your spirit? You're locked into the computer. You don't emote. You don't uh, have time to be, uh, you know, uh, open and ask the right questions and listen deeply. So it's really an aberration, a distortion of what we uh, we, uh, we 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 all want to do. We all want to be really as best we can. The, 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 you know, the, the the doctors who we admire, who are the people that really took time, listened, and made the diagnosis, and comforted the patient, and treated the patient. So uh, it's it's a really difficult time right now. I I, um, uh, I also at the end of the day I do a little inventory again Hoffman uh, inspired by asking myself so what was my intent today what did I accomplish was I inspired uh, did I connect and have I made a difference so those are really important right questions for that. me to ask. We're going to have to end right there on that perfectly. Thank you okay. so much, Dr. Bruce Price. Okay. Um, My pleasure. Rasp- Thank you. Ed, yeah. I mentioned next week's show. Um, we have with us next week Susan Stifelman, and her book is Parenting Without Power Struggles. She is an, a, a licensed psychotherapist, but more than that, she's been on all the great you know television shows and uh, has learned the secret. She's also a Hoffman grad, but she's learned the secret of parenting without power struggles. So if you've got kids or you're thinking about having kids or you've had kids, <laughs> uh, I think we can all benefit from it. Or, we're, or you were a kid. Uh, so parenting without power struggles next week with Susan Stifelman. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. And thank you all. Thank you all. To learn all more about much. all of us, you can go to the Hoffman, our website, hoffmaninstitute.org. Raz will be back next week. See you then. Thank you again for being a part of the Hoffman Connection. 
Please join your hosts, Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon, again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, make it an outstanding week.